Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello, this is Simeon Siegel coming from day one of the Lead Innovation Summit 2023, I believe. It's hard to remember. And most importantly, we are in the most comfortable chairs of the event. I am here with Doug Zarkin, VP and CMO of Pearl Vision. This is going to be a fun conversation. How you doing, Doug? Recently exited CMO of Pearl Vision. Just, just left the company about a month ago. So okay. it's great to be here. Great to be at the lead. It's always a great source of content and information and most importantly, relationships. Perfect. Relationships is going to be a key part of what we're going to talk about. So I think that's fantastic. There we go. All right. So before we get there, why don't you give us a little bit about your history? Sure. So was most recently for the last 10 years, the CMO of Pearl Vision, which is part of Essilor Exotica, was brought in to really revitalize this iconic brand. Pearl was founded in 1961 by Dr. Stanley Pearl, who really had this vision for bringing together best-in-class eye care alongside best-in-class eyewear. But my career really began in the agency business at the end of the train. Spent about a decade in the agency world, founded the youth and entertainment division of Gray Advertising, and then you're talking one of the few guys that actually could say that he was an Avon lady. Spent three years at Avon, went to Victoria's Secret to launch the pink brand nationally, and then played around in the uh, retail fashion and apparel world before coming to uh, Pearl. And always in that marketing capacity? Always in the marketing capacity. I mean, the beautiful thing about being in marketing is that you have such impact on the P&L that it really prepares you for a number of different places that you can go with your career. So, okay, so you named a bunch of transactionally driven retailers that figured out a way to have an emotional connection to their customers. 100%. I think that was a big pivot that you brought to Pearl. So maybe talk about whether the form of discounts and, and yep. the idea of BOGO or however you want to just approach the way you took the business and the marketing. Yeah. Talk to us about shifting from transaction to experience sure. or numbers to people, however you want to take that. So when I think about the brand value equation and where brands fall, there are two types of relationships. There's friendship and brand love. And if you think back to you know when you were single, being in the friend zone as a brand is not a good thing. And we all know what the friend zone is, right? Um, and unfortunately, there are a lot of brands that live in the friend zone. And friends, when it comes to brands, tend to be ones where it's, what did you do for me lately? And in the case of Pearl, Pearl had five different brand positionings over eight years before I got to the business. And it found them in this place where it had great, it had great awareness, but very low educated awareness. And then a lot of things to a lot of people, but nothing specific. And so in moving that brand out of the friend zone and really creating a long lasting love relationship with those in the community around where those eye care centers were, it required the brand to get back to what Dr. Stanley Pearl believed in, which was truly an unmatched commitment to care. And so the first six months of my career at Pearl was really about revitalizing the brand positioning and articulating where this business was going to go. And inevitably, it resulted in the notion that Pearl was going to be a brand that stood for genuine eye care from your neighborhood doctor, really connecting the consumers to the eye care experts that live in, in those eye care centers in those neighborhoods to really create that strong, lasting, tensionless relationship. So it's interesting because here I'm thinking I'm building up to be honored to be called your friend, but clearly that's not a good thing. So I'll, I'm going to work on that. Within what you're talking about, you did mention awareness. You talked about building this up. You kind of creating yeah. this framework. I guess there are numbers involved in that. There are insights involved in that. 
how do you judge how, where you stand? How do you assess where you go? How do you use yeah. that? Because there's obviously the qualitative element. Sure. But what else do you look for in terms of KPIs or whatever, you, however you would? I mean, getting back to your previous question, migrating the brand away from a, a buy one, get one strategy, which is the strategy that that brand had had for about 20 years, required us to strengthen the brand value equation. And brand value, at least the way that I look at it, is experience divided by price. If you deliver an amazing experience, you can charge a premium price and have positive brand value. So at Pearl, in looking at it, we recognized that we had an opportunity to better showcase the experience side of the equation so that we could eliminate those heavy discounts and still be net positive. So you mentioned pink. When I think about pink versus Pearl, I think about something that is a little bit more discretionary versus something that's a little bit more staple. I think about something that is a commodity plus versus something that borders on medical yeah. and want. Do you think about it like that? Do you see similarities? How do you tell a story when it's something that is more want than need versus more need than want? So I think the eye care industry in general has not yet reached the pinnacle of your annual physical or your biannual, your, your I'm sorry, semi-annual visit to the dentist. There's still a lot of education that needs to happen. I mean, think about this. One out of four school-aged kids has an undiagnosed vision issue, and that number jumps to 40%. Yet most parents don't realize that beginning at age five, you should be taking your child in for a comprehensive eye exam. So there's a fair amount of education that still needs to happen. In the optical industry, there is a wide array of choices and options. Some commoditize the eye exam, you tend to see free eye exam and two pairs of glasses for $80. And, and that's fine. If you believe that the medical part of your experience is not as important as the fashion element of your experience, then by all means, you can take advantage of that. But no different than the world of fashion, there are choices and options for people that want to make investments. And in the case of Pearl, the positioning was really about focusing on reinforcing that, you know what? Eyewear is a medical device. And it is about caring for your eyes first. And so that was really the essence of the strategy, which I've, which I've been talking about for years, was really dialing into the emotional connection of, you know what, 80% of what I learn is through my eyes. And these are as much a fashion element, but more importantly, they're a medical device I'm wearing on my face every single day. So is cheaper better or is better better? You've got to make that decision for yourself. But as the trajectory of Pearl would demonstrate, enough people were making the connection that better was better, that were making Pearl their destination. And what's always been so interesting about the eyewear business to me is it's also a, an entry point for luxury brands. And the notion that there's private label, but then there's also logoed brands at price points that might not be that out of reach for consumers. How do you think about telling that story? How do you think about where you balance selling other people's brand story and that emotional connection. And does that matter? It's a, it's a great question and a hard one to answer. And I'll say this. Consumers absolutely make emotional decisions before they make rational choices. And so connecting with people on a human level, I call it the think human approach, is critical to be successful. Whether you're marketing the products that you sell or you're looking at the way the competition is marketing, those that try to play the rational battle are going to end up in the friend zone. Because what you're forcing the consumer to do is evaluate your brand based on the product, not the relationship. In today's marketplace, you can't afford to not have 
a lifetime relationship with your consumers because there's too many flavors of the day. There's too many choices and options. There's too many Instagram brands that come up that if you're late night surfing, yeah, that looks interesting. To create stickiness, you have to create resonance. The way you create resonance is by connecting with the consumer on an emotional level. So talk, so that's a really interesting point because we're talking about education. We're talking about awareness. We're talking about helping to inform your consumer about something they may or may not know. At the same time, we're telling them a story. Yeah. So how do you address talking to versus talking with? And, and I'm sure you're yeah. going to bring you back to friends versus love because it's probably, it's a really good parallel and it's probably relevant. But maybe speak to that because so much of this storytelling is actually, right, there's difference between them. You know, really the complexity of that is in the simplicity. And the simplicity really comes down to if you take a leadership through listening approach with your consumer, if you are actively seeking feedback and most importantly, really focusing not so much on the data that you're getting back, but the questions that you're asking, you're going to get nuggets that you can build on to really strengthen that relationship and end up delivering a long lasting consumer connection that's going to be able to hold off, maybe not completely, but for the most part, any flavor of the day brand. And so then to a CMO, how important are numbers versus the qualitative? I mean, look, we live in, a, in an era of data, but data truly is only as good as the questions that you ask. And so for any CMO, whether you're in a product, service, healthcare, or consumer is good, you as a CMO have to be focused on understanding what questions to ask in order to really appreciate what the data is telling you. It's not that you make decisions not using data, you, but data are breadcrumbs that help you get to the answers. You have to develop a guttural instinct for your business and your brand. And you do that through getting out of the boardroom, spending time with the most important people in your organization, which are your frontline associates, and actually actively engaging in a dialogue with your consumers. Be involved in that conversation. Make it a two-way dialogue. Don't make it just getting reviews and ratings. Make it about asking questions and seeking feedback. So it's interesting. My, my team's done a lot of work over the last many years on the notion that data might not be all it's cracked up to be. We, we titled it D to C is not all it's cracked up to be, but the premise was this idea that these disruptors, these 1P yep. data owners have perceived that to be all end all, but realistically it may have actually been a crutch because you look at brands in all categories of, consum of consumer and consumption and they're huge businesses. And then you look at some of the disruptors and they're much smaller businesses. The ones with all the data actually are smaller businesses, sometimes less healthy ones. And I think your point about knowing what questions to ask is so critical. Do you have a view on being 1P and owning all the data and that being the be-all, end-all versus having strong partnerships and multiple companies being involved in the transaction, selling a brand, having distribution? I mean, like the whole wholesale retail ecosystem that up until recently was viewed as the devil. You know, not enough brands do enough with their first-party data. Very few brands have the humility to recognize that sometimes the answer to where your brand needs to go doesn't necessarily lie in the data that you have. And the reason is, is because data is based on a specific set of criteria that happened at a specific moment in time. But we're living in a marketplace that is constantly evolving, changing. And so what's great is to use that first-party data to create cohorts to go out and seek out, seek out learning, seek out new audiences. You know, one of the things I'm most proud of during my near 11 years at Pearl was really our lean into the U.S. Hispanic community. And that didn't come from mining first-party data. That actually came from really 
power of observation and insight about the fact that the U.S. Hispanic community is genetically predisposed to vision acuity issues, and 40% of U.S. Hispanic school-aged kids have an undiagnosed vision issue, which is nearly 2x general market pop. And oh, by the way, there is such a reverence for the doctor in that community. And oh, by the way, the multi-generational family dynamic is, is tenfold what it is in general market. And oh, by the way, they have huge discretionary incomes and really value brands that speak to them in their language, no pun intended. And so I would never have been able to launch the U.S. Hispanic Initiative if I had just focused on the first party data. You have to keep in mind of what's going on in the consumer landscape. That just means being smart enough to listen to what's out there, to take input from others, and then fold it back into your brand. Okay, so in the spirit of landscape and can't talk about retail without e-commerce, how does that play in this industry? So look, not every brand deserves or requires an e-com solution. Um, brick and mortar is not dead. You know, we're here at, you know, rethinking retail, the, the fake news that Amazon killed brick and mortar retail is just that it's fake news. What Amazon did is it killed shitty retail. It forced retailers to really think about that value equation and driving up the experience side of the quotient. And experience isn't just about what you do at a Bass Pro Shops, for example. Experience could be simply an amazing waiter that takes care of you at your local neighborhood diner, that refills your drink, that knows your name, that knows your order, to make you feel wanted and special. And the easiest way of seeing that, the most quantifiable way of seeing that is everyone who's closing stores are getting a drastically lower recapture rate than they yep. would have otherwise thought. Uh, all right, so what advice do you have for other CMOs? Wow, um, I think the first thing is stop focusing on the right way and stop being scared of the wrong way carve out your way. There are certainly fundamentals to how you build a brand over the long term, but there is no right or wrong way to do it. There is no single path. And I think that's the beauty of marketing is that it is both an art and science. And so stop operating from a fear of a uh, position of fear, but also stop operating from a position of FOMO. Fear of missing out is, is not a marketing strategy. The second thing that I would really reinforce is focus more on By the way, my how. favorite term that I learned and, and developed over COVID was JOMO, which is the joy of missing out. Joy of missing it's out, It's the yeah. most liberating feeling when you can embrace it. I mean, the second thing I would say is, is um, focus more on the how, not just the what. You know, we tend to be results-oriented. We tend to be action-oriented people. But if you lose sight of how you go about delivering, Number one, you lose out on the magic. Number two, you lose out on the opportunity. Number three, you lose out on the sense of team. And then the third thing is lead through listening. The answers are there. You just have to be able to be in tune enough to figure out what they are. Love that. Should we talk about what's next or no? What's next? Um, I'm in the process of writing a book. Very exciting. Which is really exciting, which hopefully will come out in the third quarter. What topic? Um, Do we know? Is it out there? And or it, we you're you're going to giggle, but it's really about strengthening the brand value equation. Um, and it's, it's about how do you move your brand out of the friend zone and create those long lasting love based relationships between your brand and your consumer. Love it. How do we pre-order? Um, eventually we'll be up on Amazon and hopefully at a, at a neighborhood bookstore, if they still exist near you sometime at the, in the third quarter. There you go. That's exciting. Yeah. Well, I look forward to that. Thank you. Doug, this was great. Thank you very much for the time. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the rethink retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. 
That's rethink.industries/podcastguest. Follow us on Twitter at rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.